the Slaughter and May podcast. Hello and welcome to the Slaughter and May podcast. I'm Azad Nasiri and I'm a partner in the sustainable financing team. I'm joined by Jeff Twentyman, corporate partner and head of sustainability. Jeff, from talking with many of our clients, it's clear that ESG is at or near the top of the agenda for most organisations in the private sector and has been for some time. But there seems perhaps now to be more of a sense of urgency around aligning business strategy with sustainability goals. Yeah, that's right. As uh, this is reflective of a rapidly changing stakeholder and investor dynamic, there's both a, a push and a pull going on here. Already in 2019, there was very much increased momentum to address the risks of climate change coming off the back of the IPCC report in 2018 calling for radical decarbonisation. Increasing consumer pressure and just much better and more widely known information, the unignorable facts. That was the, the push, if you like. And on top of this, investors and asset owners really upped their expectation of companies. The only really growing source of investable capital comes with some ESG preference or screening. And on top of this, survey after survey of both before and during the COVID pandemic have indicated that funds that invest in corporates with a strong ESG focus have tended to perform better. Yes, and it's really no longer sufficient for businesses to just focus on earnings. Broader concepts that inform the value of a company, issues around climate, sustainability, remuneration, diversity and labour conditions, to name just a few, have the power to make or break a company's reputation, as well as impact its investment potential. Um, as Mark Carney recently said, you know, virtually every company and country requires a new strategy, forced by the dynamics of the crisis. Any successful strategy will result in climate-related risks and opportunities becoming what he called core determinants of perceived asset and project value. And professionals now have the information they need to consider the impact of a company or asset on the transition to net zero, and this becomes a natural way of judging value. Yeah, and only the week before last, Paul Polman, who used to be the chief executive of Unilever, he said... The myth you can't have economic growth if you also attack climate change has been turned upside down. If you want economic growth, you have to attack climate change. So yes, there's rather a lot more momentum and urgency. Yes, a fair bit more. And I I suppose the key question here really is, for those companies that wish to present well on ESG, how can they ensure that these issues are at the heart of their strategy and are undertaking with a serious level of commitment? And, and then how can those strategies be communicated to stakeholders, whether that be within the business or externally? Well, the starting point has to be corporate purpose. The board must decide on what this corporate purpose will be. To my mind, it's now core. So why are you in business? And as the British Academy has defined it, purpose means to produce profitable solutions to the problems of people and planet and not to profit from producing problems for others. And it has to be authentic. It can't simply be a mission statement without action. So for me, the, the, the sequence here is purpose and values, strategy that's informed by those, strategic milestones, KPIs, incentives that support the purpose and values and strategy and not just short-term financial returns 
and only then does the reporting and transparency become the focus. I think that's completely right. Um, there's now widespread expectation that a company's directors will engage clearly and transparently with all stakeholders and not just pay lip service to their company's goals uh, around whether it be environmental or sustainable matters or whatever else it might be. Directors should be aspiring to achieve social responsibility and shareholder value by balancing the creation of long-term shareholder value with delivery of value to all stakeholders as that's really now quite vital to a company's reputation. And we've seen debt investors and shareholders more and more asking for tangible actions and steps. So, for example, introducing longer time limits for executive incentives or making greater linkage between incentives and non-financial performance in line with the corporate purpose. There might also be recalibration of the proportion of profit paid in dividends uh, or share buybacks, Uh, and the amount reinvested in the business, including to fund sustainable objectives that deliver long-term value, whether that's through opening up opportunities or building in greater resilience. I I, I agree, although those those are examples are more of a means of delivering strategy than strategy itself. Whatever strategy is devised to support the corporate purpose, it needs to be embraced by management to allow for its delivery throughout the business board level accountability is absolutely essential and intermediate milestones or targets are also essential so you know for example if you say you'll be carbon neutral in 2050 but don't have any milestones in the shorter term no one's going to take that seriously and if it's part of strategy and not just efforts to mitigate negative effects of the business then it will be front and center on the board agenda uh, and what the executive directors live and breathe and, and indeed talk about. A business won't become an ESG high performer with sceptics at its helm. Leadership is absolutely essential to achieving progress and to authenticity throughout the organisation. The trouble, I suppose, comes when corporates have to provide evidence of this commitment. There are, of course, frameworks and targets which can be helpful Um, For example, although there isn't currently a standardised network for ESG reporting, there are various indices and metrics which a company can use to demonstrate its sustainable credentials. And what will be relevant will, of course, depend on the corporate purpose and strategy a company has set for itself. So, for example, an energy company may have ambitions to transition to cleaner energy or reduce emissions in line with the Paris Agreement. And measures for for emission reductions that, for example, reflect the UK government's streamlined energy and carbon reporting framework could be included um, as part of disclosures within the company's broader disclosure regime. As an alternative, um, a business wanting to improve diversity or social inequality might look to support its strategy by reference to the UN's uh, sustainable development goals which, as you know, are part of the UN's agenda for sustainable development, uh, looking to address social inequality alongside climate action. Many of the regulatory initiatives are aimed at encouraging capital allocation to sustainable investments. The, the, The economic paradigm of markets with perfect information is a myth. Investors struggle to obtain the information to allow them to choose to make sustainable investment decisions whichever element of ESG they seek. And so disclosure and transparency seeks to address this market failure. For example, the TCFD 
will be mandatory before long and arguably sooner than current expectations. And this is a framework for disclosing climate risk and how it affects the business. But there are also several pieces of EU legislation relating to non-financial reporting which currently apply to the UK, including the, the non-financial reporting directive, the NFRD, which is in process of review and amendment. And things like the EU taxonomy and the low carbon benchmark regulation will make a difference to what investors need and therefore to what issues will have to produce to satisfy those investor requirements. In contrast to the TCFD, these will require disclosure of the impact the, that the business has on sustainability, so its own impacts. It's, it's what's known as the double materiality test. One of the challenges is that there are so many frameworks and data points for measuring environmental and sustainable performance, although the marketplace is now seeking to achieve some sense of common approach. I mean, most recently, there was a joint statement by five global framework setting organisations calling for integrated reporting between financial accounting and sustainability disclosure. And organisations like the GRI and SASB or SASB have also started a joint initiative. But a one-size-fits-all method of comparison could also risk losing the detail and value in what companies are actually seeking to do. You know, companies are, are struggling with the range of different systems they want to adopt. But in my opinion, companies should approach this not as some burden of disclosure, but as a, a real opportunity to identify for themselves what ESG characteristics and objectives are their own differentiators and use these positively to tell their story really well. It's better, I think, to have really high quality narrative on the things that matter. Completely agree. And Jeff, you mentioned the EU platform. Interestingly, despite the lockdown, there's been momentum in the EU for developing a cohesive regime around some of the reporting requirements. So the disclosure regulation and taxonomy regulation have come into force, although of course the provisions don't apply yet. And they seek to introduce comparability by introduction of a common framework to describe and report on environmentally sustainable activities. How the EU system will apply to the UK once Brexit transition period expires at the end of this year is, of course, another question. And it's not clear at this stage whether the regimes will align. Yeah, it awaits to be seen how this will operate after the end of transition. But the direction of travel is clear. And I, I think there's little to gain in diverging from European standards in this area just when the market is beginning to coalesce around the, US, the EU platform of initiatives. That and many other things are still not clear from the Brexit transition period, but what is clear is that ESG is no longer a nice to have, but an essential part of business strategy. It's a key area of focus for investors who recognise the connection between sustainability and return on investment. And it's also important to recognise that it can result in a beneficial cost of capital for the company. Absolutely. And we're seeing some correlation already between ESG performance and reduction of the cost of capital uh, using sustainable debt products. So people often use the term green debt or sustainable debt as an umbrella term for a very broad category of products, which can, I think, be divided neatly into two buckets. Bucket one, products where the money raised has to be used for a specific ESG related purpose. And bucket two, products which don't have 
specific ESG-related restrictions around use of proceeds. In the first bucket, we've tended to see green bonds, green loans, social bonds and sustainability bonds. In the case of green bonds and green loans, we're really talking about bonds and loans where the proceeds have to be invested in green projects with appropriate green credentials. Social bonds are really bonds where the proceeds are used for an eligible social project. And in the case of sustainability bonds, the terms of use of proceeds are really going to be around a mixture of eligible green projects and social projects. So very much focused on use of proceeds and therefore not necessarily available or usable by all businesses and organisation. In the second bucket, we have a much broader um, range of products, um, sustainability-linked loans and bonds. Here, the proceeds don't have to be used for a specific purpose, but the key feature is that the pricing itself is tied to the borrower's performance as against certain predetermined green or other ESG-related performance targets that that they've set for themselves. So, for example, the margin on an ESG-linked loan will adjust if the borrower meets these uh, set targets. And typically what we've seen is that for investment-grade borrowers, the adjustment is around 2.5 basis points in either direction, depending on whether or not the targets are met. So, Uh, very much there can be a direct link between corporate purpose strategy uh, and cost of debt capital. And it's not just debt either. If if equity investors are seeking high ESG performers, then this demand will tend to reduce the cost of equity to issuers who display these characteristics. And as we noted earlier, equity market performance appears also now to favour the issuers with inbuilt ESG attractions. So I think that many businesses now are seeing clearly that ESG sits at the core of what they do. It is no longer a marginal activity, but an integral part of their business strategy. And for that strategy to work and make their business's value go up, it needs to be aligned and focus on tangible targets along with values and incentives designed to achieve them. There's no space for greenwash here. So a sustainability strategy which dives into the detail and delivers real-world and concrete outputs will automatically lead to an increase in the value of the company, in my view, because investors, whether it's lenders or equity providers, are already more attracted to more resilient, more purposeful businesses, and they're willing to pay extra for this. So to my mind, the question about authenticity is not about disclosure, even if this is an important element of accountability but it's about clarity of purpose and a determination to deliver it. I I couldn't agree more. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Um, Thank you, Jeff, uh, and thank you all for listening. If you would like to discuss your ESG strategy, uh, please feel free to contact us, myself, Azad Inasiri, or Jeff Twentyman, or your usual social May contact. Thank you and um, goodbye for now. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.